Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. I want to jump into this message. A lot of you guys saw, you saw uh, the uh, announcement on Facebook earlier today, I'm sure. This, uh, the throne room of God. Man, this is going to be an exciting study. Have you ever thought about have you ever thought about what does the throne room of God really look like? I mean, I know it's got to be fantastic, right? I mean, this is just a graphic that we came up with. Can I see that picture again one more time? Look at that. The rainbow around the throne, right? I'm sure this is, this, I mean, this is nothing. This is an earthly throne with a rainbow we wrapped around it with the name of the sermon. This is nothing compared to what God's throne room is really going to be uh, looking like. It's going to be beyond what we could comprehend in these four dimensions that we are stuck in. And tonight we're going to have the awesome privilege of studying and dreaming and, and trying to imagine what that could be like. So uh, we're going to study that uh, chapter four. So if you are uh, shared in the family page earlier, uh, I told you to be excited. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter four and get ready to join us tonight at seven. So let's do that. But before I do that, I want to do a little a little background, you know, I always like to do a little recap for those of us who are with us tonight that perhaps you've missed, you know, uh, a week or so in this series, because it's been a, this is, believe it or not, this is week nine, message number nine in letter to the, Letters to the Churches. And so far, we're only in uh, starting the fourth chapter of Revelation. Pretty cool. A lot of, God has just given us so much cool stuff to share and to learn, hasn't he? Amen. I want you guys to be chitty-chatty for me tonight, okay? I want you to comment, say amen, because when I'm done with this service, I always go back and I look at the comments and, and I kind of gauge level of engagement for you guys on how much we're talking and sharing the message and all that good stuff. So give me some encouragement tonight by saying amen and talking to your brothers and sisters throughout the message, okay? And even if you have a question, you can put your question on the feed. But the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is... The revelation of Jesus and things which must shortly come to pass is what he told John uh, the Revelator. Okay? Things that must shortly come to pass on earth, but also in heaven. That's Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. We also discovered uh, that since it is called the Revelation, the Revelation, the contents of this book are not a mystery. Pretty cool, huh? This is a revelation. What is the revelation? Revelation is the unveiling. Not the veiling, but the unveiling. The things in this book are not a mystery, yet so oftentimes uh, it, is, it is considered to be that book uh, that is at the end of the Bible that's just so confusing that even pastors sometimes will tell you not to bother with it, not to, maybe when you're a more of a mature Christian, you should get into the book of Revelation. But yeah, it's just kind of hard to understand. Oh, church, no, 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 no. If you study the contents of this letter, of this book, I assure you, uh, I assure you, it is much, there's much more to be understood 
in this revelation than there is to be confused about, okay? So uh, don't let people tell you that it can't be understood. As you see, as we study tonight, and hopefully as you've been seeing just through the first three chapters of the letters to the churches, perhaps you've been understanding revelation on a deeper level and more than you ever have before. And I hope that's the case. Uh, I would make, nothing would make me happier. But there's so much for us in, in Revelation that God has for us. At the end of the day, it's in the Word of God. He gave the vision. He unveiled it to John the Revelator, right? So he wants us to know it. And you know that God, uh, we studied this on Sunday, he often speaks in parables, right? He often, he often lays out his word for us on a way that requires us to seek it out, to find the knowledge. That way, those that don't seek it out won't have the knowledge because the knowledge is sacred and special for those who seek it out, okay? Which brings me to the next point. Revelation is the only book in the whole Bible that promises a special blessing for the reader. That's pretty audacious, isn't it? So even if you're hearing it read and not even reading it yourself, just even hearing it or reading it yourself, there's a special blessing for you. So if you're joining us tonight, I don't know exactly what that special blessing looks like, but I'm hoping that it is a deeper knowledge and understanding and confidence in the Word of God. If we don't accomplish anything else tonight, I want to accomplish you having a greater confidence in the Word of God than maybe you did before we even started tonight. Somebody out there. Anyway, this was a prophecy that was written by John the Apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, on the Isle of Patmos, for the testimony of Jesus Christ according to Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. It is written to the seven churches of Asia, Okay, uh, but not only to the seven churches of Asia, we say Asia, but Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, uh, but it was written to believers everywhere. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 tells us to believers everywhere. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is seen, okay, as judge and warrior. That's something we've got to get our mind around as well, okay? Judge and warrior, whereas in the, the uh, Gospels and the Epistles, he's seen as the Redeemer, he's seen as Savior. In Revelation, he is judge and warrior. These are different times, all right? Uh, different uh, uh, times call for uh, different actions from us many times, don't they? All right. So uh, it also brings uh, to light the ministry of angels. Uh, seventh point. I'm going through points here. Uh, it brings to light the ministry of angels. In fact, uh, we read that each church, each church had an angel which helped them accomplish their ministry. I love that thought, don't you? I love to think about Life Story Church having an angel that looks out for us, helping us to accomplish our ministry. That, uh, that, that we learned from Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 through 20. And finally, in our recap, to each church, the Lord affirms, he affirms their good deeds. He exposes their sins, exposes their weaknesses. He also requires each to repent, metanio, to change your mind, change your perspective. And in doing so, if you can do it, if you do it, you'll be rewarded for it. And he gives promises to those who overcome. So with that being said, here we go. Chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4, and then it'll on into 5, but really 4 is our focus tonight, sets the pa panorama for all of the rest of Revelation, okay? There's really two parts 
well, three, but really two main parts here uh, that we're dealing with in Revelation. The first three chapters, letters to the churches, and it transitions. There's a transition in chapter four that sets the new tone and the new panorama for the rest of Revelation because the scene moves from earth dealing with real churches, I said a million times over the last eight weeks, right, nine weeks, uh, there's, these were real churches with real people with real issues that they were really dealing with, just like us, guys, all right? And then he's dealing with churches and people that were on earth, potentially dealing prophetically with churches historically throughout time, and definitely as well with these spirits of the churches still being present today, dealing with us as well, all right? So, but that's all here, that's all us, that's all on earth. The panorama now moves to heaven, which is a real place. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Heaven is a real, tangible place that exists materially, okay? And sometimes we get into our minds and we start thinking, you know, heaven is just an idea, right? Especially uh, New Age mystics or New Age Gnostic teachings that are infecting the church. It's a, it's a state of consciousness or something like that. No, it's a place. You're going to have a real new body and go to a place that is dimensionally advanced beyond where we are. We exist in uh, uh, four dimensions, right? Albert Einstein, 100 years ago, discovered that time is measurable and it's Earth-centric, time itself, right? So it's a fourth dimension. We're stuck in these four dimensions. God himself, most quantum physicists, have uh, that have studied creation week come back and say God must exist in 10 to 11 dimensions to do everything he did in that one week. So, so which leads us to believe that perhaps Adam, before he fell, and Eve existed beyond the four dimensions uh, uh, dimensionally. Anyway, we don't want to jump off on that rabbit, uh, go down that rabbit hole, but uh, it's a real place. So we have to understand that in that context. Heaven's a real place, dimensionally advanced. Let's begin then. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and this is going to be a common theme as we study through Revelation, uh, as you study through Revelation, a door standing open in open doors, right? They're symbolic, okay, of many things. After these things, after these things, I underline that. I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Underline that. Keep that in mind. Speaking with me, saying... Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Okay, this is important now because what did we just get done studying last week? The letters to the churches. Where were the churches? Definitely on earth still. Definitely real churches on earth, okay? So, a couple things right off the bat. He says, after these things. What things? That was the instructions to the church. Then what do we see in this, just the one verse? We see voice like a trumpet, okay? And what is he saying? He's saying, come up here. That's if He's physically saying, you who are there on earth, come up here, all right? Remember what we were just talking about dimensionally. Do you remember, uh, we've studied uh, earlier in the year, we studied uh, 1 Thessalonians as we uh, studied, um, uh, well, we studied the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the Feast of the Lord. We also studied 1 Thessalonians when we studied uh, rapture theology. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Let me just read it to you. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, 
And with what? You can read that. Somebody say it. Somebody say, here's a good place for you to write in a comment, right? With the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Where? Up here, right? In the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Amen. Let me just throw this out there. We see a parallel there then, don't we? We see a parallel. And it suggests, first of all, that our transfiguration will be swift. Our transfiguration will be swift. The trumpet sounds, and what happens? What happens? Let's read verse 2. Uh, verse 2, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. What happens immediately? Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So this is not just a vision here, guys. All right? I want you to understand this. He was on earth. God said, come up here. And immediately he was in the Spirit. He was up there. Okay? These, and this, this, we... He testifies to this by explaining, explaining the real experiences that he is having. Okay, can I see that next graphic? There's some real experiences that throughout the rest of Revelation, John is going to tell us. He says, I, he's going to say, I looked 70 times in Revelation. He's going to say, and I saw. He, looked, he really, with his own eyes, looked and saw, and he beheld seven times, and he heard with his ears 23 times. And as we go through, as we go through uh, Revelation, we'll find that this wasn't some quiet, still whisper, right? As God has spoken throughout the past. These are clangs, shouts. These are clamor. This is noise, okay? He's going to hear it's more violent terms, all right? So these are real experiences that he is describing, all right? So, uh, you know, a lot of times people will try to put it out there like, oh man, yeah, John the Revelator uh, exiled on that island. Yeah, he must have, you know, had some bad chili before he went to bed or something, right? No, this is not, this is, this is a tangible experience, all right? Uh, rapturesque, right? Rapturesque. He's effectively raptured uh, and immediately he was there in the spirit. So this is not a new concept. A lot of people will try to teach you that rapture is not in the Bible. Rapture, and I have like ad nauseum gone through that with you guys, right? Uh, no, it's, it is uh, uh, right there. I just read it to you. Be caught up together with them in the clouds. That word caught up, you break it down. It's uh, uh, rap, raptire, rapturo in the Latin, harpazo in the Greek, forcibly snatched up right? So that's where we get our word rapture. That happens a number of times through the Bible. It happened to Stephen. It happened to Elijah. It happened to Enoch, right? At least seven different times it's happened in the Bible, okay? So, which is an interesting number, huh? It's always seven with the word of God. So again, confidence builder for you guys. Anyway, uh, these are real experiences that he is having. And let's keep reading then. Let's keep reading what his experience is. Uh, verse three, and he who sat there he who sat there, remember he uh, beheld a throne in heaven and one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone, sardius stone, and uh, in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Wow, 
That sounds pretty fascinating. Um, hard to wrap our minds around that a little bit, isn't it? So let me help you wrap our minds around it, okay? Let's stop right here. Uh, that has to mean something. Don't you know? Don't you know that has to mean something in the Word of God? So let me go to our next graphic, and I'll, let's just break it down. This is one you might want to take a picture of the screen with your phone if you're watching this on the TV, or maybe you want to take a screenshot if you're watching this on a mobile device. But Jasper, first things first. Jasper is clear as crystal. Some scholars believe that perhaps this was uh, a diamond, uh, but it's debatable. Uh, but some people do suppose that. So Jasper, diamond? Eh. I don't know. It doesn't make any difference anyway. All right? But what's interesting about that is that it's clear. It's perfect, right? What's the most expensive diamonds in the world, the, the best crystal in the world, right? They're clear. They're perfect, okay? In any case, it will later appear, the jasper, in the wall and the foundation of the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. So it's significant. The Sardius stone. This is the first stone First stone, don't let that be lost on you, in the breastplate of the high priest representing Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, is he not? So the firstborn of Reuben, the firstborn of the twelve brothers, okay? It's the sixth stone listed in the foundations of the New Jerusalem, again in Revelation chapter 21. It was also first discovered in the actual real town that Jesus, with one of the churches, letters to the churches, right, it discovered in Sardis, and its color is described as fiery red or even blood red, all right? Interesting uh, thing about the rainbow here is that in Greek, that is the word iris, which also means halo. So you could say a halo around his throne. Ever wonder where we get the idea of halos over little angels? I don't know. Uh, anyway, emerald, let's keep moving on this graphic. Emerald, as well as being precious, a precious and beautiful stone, it symbolifies and uh, the glories of God and his saints. It uh, symbolizes new life. It symbolizes increase and prosperity. And it also means a live coal or ever burning. It never goes out. All right. Now, uh, look at the bottom. Uh, look at the bottom of this graphic, guys. All right. Interesting thing here. And this is huge considering the context here. Right. Uh, the one who sat there, what was he like? He was like a jasper. He was like a sardis stone in appearance. All right. Those two stones, the breastplate of the high priest, had 12 stones for each tribe of Israel, if you remember. We've taught that before. The first was the Sardis for Reuben, and the last was Jasper, or diamond, right, for Benjamin. In other words, here he, what was he like? What was he like, the one who sat on the throne? He was like the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. But in other words, the uh, 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 Reuben uh, means, behold my son, and Benjamin means the son of my right hand. So the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, behold my son, the son of my right hand. That is he who sits on that throne. Pretty incredible, huh? You never knew that so much was in just that one verse three, did you? I didn't. <laughs> verse four, let's keep reading. And the throne, around the throne... This, is, this gets pretty interesting. Around the throne, in the throne room of God, were 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders, pay attention to that word, elders sitting, 
clothed in white robes, that's relevant, and they had crowns, that's relevant, crowns of gold on their heads. Now, <clears throat> who are these elders on the thrones with these crowns? Who are they? You guys have your coffee tonight? I hope so. Who are these elders? Some say that they're uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. It makes sense. I get how you'd get there. Like, wow, why would there be 24? Well, okay. I, 12 tribes of Israel, so 12 sons of Jacob. And there were 12 disciples, right? So I bet that's... Anyway, not so fast. Not so fast. Uh, first of all, first of all, uh, they mirror. They mirror, or, or in other words, type and shadow. You guys have heard me say that before. A lot of times, what that means is in the Old Testament, you might read something uh, that is really points towards Messiah or points towards Jesus, right? You see type and shadow happening throughout the Old Testament. I always like to say, uh, uh, to uh, uh, borrow Chuck Missler's line, that the Old Testament... Uh, he might have borrowed it from somebody else for all I know, but uh, <laughs> the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the, or the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So you'll find the New Testament in the Old Testament if you really study and look, and you'll find the Old Testament, obviously, littered throughout the New Testament. All right, so uh, type and sh there are tw these 24 elders in the throne room of God. First and foremost, if they are type and shadow of everything, they would be, of anything, they would be type and shadow of David's 24 priests. David, King David, had 24 priests. And you can check me on this in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. I don't have time tonight to, to look that scripture up, so write it down. 1 Chronicles chapter 24. Basically how it worked, he, he set up a system where 12 priests, and, and I'm just going to have to dumb it down to make this move through this quickly, but essentially 12 priests would handle half the year, and then they'd be on, this, on a cycle, right? Then another 12 priests would handle the second half of the year. So all told, there were 24 priests, and on high holy days, and all of the priests would come in, and you'd have 24 priests uh, on the high holy days. So the t all 24, what the number 24 represents here, and I believe it represents here being in the throne room of God, is the complete priesthood. The full, complete priesthood, okay? But, so am I saying that it's that specifically those 24 priests of David? No, it can't be them, uh, but we'll get to why in a second, okay? Um, you know who else it can't be? Uh, 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 by the way, according to Revelation 7, they can't be those guys, okay? But it can't be the tribulation believers, people who've come to Christ during the tribulation, after the rapture, after seeing their loved ones disappear, right? Uh, it can't be them, again, because of Revelation chapter 7. It can't be angels, okay, because of Revelation chapter 7. Again, specifically verse 11, all of the angels in chapter 7 will gather around the elders. So it's not angels, okay? And it's not Israel, because Israel is still very much, so is it, the, you know, Israel is still very much on earth, as verified in Revelation chapter 7 and in Revelation chapter 12. Okay, I know I'm moving through a lot of stuff here, but I have to. Are you with me? All right. So who are, let's stay with our question, who are these elders 
with thrones and crowns. There are 24 elders with thrones and crowns. Well, we find some distinguishing characteristics about them. Very distinguishing. Let's take a look at that next graphic. Well, they sit on thrones, right? What does Revelation chapter 3, verse 21 tell us? To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne at, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So those who overcome will have thrones one day and some period after the time of the church, after these things. So after the time of the church, there will be some uh, Christians on thrones. Hmm? Okay. Uh, they have crowns of gold. Who else has crowns of gold? Well, those who were promised crowns of gold. To he who overcomes, I'll give him a crown. Crowns found in chapter 2, verse 10, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Also, uh, also what, what else defines them? They are clothed in white robes. Distinguishing characteristics, they wear white robes. Who else do we know wears white robes? Well, the church of Sardis was promised to those who overcome to wear white robes in Revelation chapter 3, verse 4 through 5. We also find, jumping forward, which we aren't going to go into chapter 5 tonight, but in chapter 5, uh, verses 9 through 10, we find that they will sing. These people gathered around, these 24 elders will sing the song of the redeemed. Who has been redeemed? Is it you? Is it me? I know it's me, right? What else is uh, uh, distinguishing about these 24 elders according to Revelation 5, verse 9 through 10? They are called elders, first of all, right? That's obvious. But they are also called kings and priests. We've done a study on this. Uh, uh, we've dug into that a little bit through our studies on these Wednesday nights, haven't we? Who are kings and priests in the Bible? Number one was Melchizedek, right? Jesus uh, was a priest in the order of Melchizedek, right? So Jesus, and then there's one more person, one more person who is a king and a priest. You got to remember that Israel had a king and then it had a priest. The king could never be the priest because he had too much blood on his hands, you understand. So a king of Israel could never be a priest. And a priest could never be a king because the priest couldn't do what the king needed to do. So who could possibly be both king and priest? Melchizedek, Jesus, and somebody say it. I know, you're, I, I know you know this. You. That's right. So they're called kings and priests, and they're called elders. Revelation 5, 9-10. I just referenced it twice, so let's just go ahead and read it. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9-10. through 10. Let's read. And they sang a new song. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Mm. Who's singing this song? The 24 elders, church. Are you hearing me? Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Verse 10. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Pretty cool, huh? The Bible is always, always referring, if you study, the Bible is always referring to the highest church officials uh, uh, when using the term elders. If you see the word elders in the word, you know who is, re is referring to. It's always church 
officials, ecclesia officials. This is also representative of the whole church in several other places. Uh, Titus chapter 1, Acts chapter 15, 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't have time to get into all that stuff, guys, but we know they have crowns. And we know that crowns are promised to those who overcome. And Jesus laid it out plain over the last few weeks, didn't he? Wasn't it clear as day as we studied those letters to the churches and what he said? And he said, you know, you've been doing this well, but this I have against you. But you know what? You are more than conquerors. So to he who overcomes, through Christ Jesus, you're more than conquerors. So to he who overcomes, I promise you this. And crowns were often uh, a part of that promise. Uh, crowns of gold. Uh, let's take a look at this next graphic. There are several different crowns that are promised. Crowns of life. For those who have suffered for his sake. Do you know you'll have a crown? Have you suffered for his sake? A crown of righteousness for those who have loved his appearing. Do you, do you love this life more than you love his appearing? Do you love what you're looking forward to with your plans more than you love his appearing and going to be with him? Ask yourself that. There's an application question. I implore you, especially for the sake of those who suffer and those who... Uh, truly suffer, especially in the age of uh, child trafficking that we live in. My goodness, Lord Jesus, you can't come soon enough. For those who have loved his appearing, the crown of glory, crown of glory for those who have fed the flock. Oh, you who grows tired from serving uh, the ministry, from, uh, from feeding the flock. I, I know the feeling, guys, trust me. Uh, I, have, I have worked multiple jobs and still poured out full-time hours into ministry at, at different times in, in my uh, service of the king. And you can sure get burned out and wore out and just flat out tired. That's why it's so important to make sure that you're in a church that feeds you. And it's so important to be getting fed on your own in your own time. Have a good prayer life, a good prayer life with your husband and wife, a good time for uh, uh, devotion and personal Bible study, uh, even uh, doing lessons on YouTube like this, right? Find time to, to, to feed your spirit. You know, it's the old adage of, of, uh, of um, you know, uh, the, 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 I'll butcher it, but somebody will know it, uh, uh, the wolf that lives within or the, the kind heart. You know, wh it, who's going to be stronger, right? It's an old Indian adage. What's and whichever one you feed, right? So your flesh or your spirit, which one is going to be uh, uh, stronger? Boy, I did butcher that. But anyway, your flesh or your spirit, which one is going to be stronger? Which one is going to be stronger? Whichever one you feed, guys. So, uh, you know, crown of uh, crown of glory for those who have fed the flock. So the Lord hasn't forgotten about you. If if, it, if I'm speaking to you and you're just kind of wore out from ministry, don't forget your first love. He would say, as he said to the church of Ephesus. But also, there's a crown of glory coming for you. A crown incorruptible. A crown incorruptible for those who press on steadfastly. Let yourself be encouraged tonight. The Lord sees you. He sees you right where you are. I always like to say, you know, that the Lord sees you, He hears you, and He is going to use it all. That's one of my favorite sermons I've ever written because, or series I've ever written, because it's just real and it's just us, you know. We struggle. We don't understand so much in this life. But He, I assure you, He sees you. He hears 
hears the prayers of your heart and he is going to use it all. Amen? Somebody say amen. Uh, crown of rejoicing for those who win souls. So guys, man, if you're not if you're not actively using the gifts that God has given you, your spiritual gifts, your physical gifts to serve the kingdom of God, man, I encourage you to get busy. You know, and if you're in a member of Life Story Church and maybe this very moment you're realizing, like, wait a minute, I'm a I'm going to church every Sunday, but I'm, uh, or most of them, and I'm missing out on a crown of glory, a crown incorruptible, and a crown of rejoicing because I'm not serving. Well, hey, we're, you know, we're always, we're always uh, wanting to uh, take applications, right? We're, we are always wanting to uh, build you up in your giftings and your service of the church. That's what we're here for, right? So uh, let us know if you're not serving in some capacity and you'd like to. So this is good stuff here. Let's go back to that graphic, though. It's important to note, though, and always remember that crowns are reward, are, they are rewards for works, okay? They are not salvation. They're not for salvation. We are uh, saved by one thing, and that's Him. That's what He did for us on the cross. We're saved by faith, not works. Works are what comes after, okay? So... I always like to say after believing, works matter, but after, after believing, after faith, then works matter to this degree. Crowns, they matter eternally, right? Crowns are also never promised to angels, and they're given out at the Bema seat judgment, which is not a scary thing. You always think of, oh, judgment, judgment. Judgment means like a decision is rendered. A decision is rendered that you have done well, my son. Here's a crown for you, right? Uh, the, great, the great white throne judgment that comes later on the back end of Revelation is the scary one when all those who are wicked and Satan are judged eternally, okay? So the, don't concern, confuse the great, great white throne judgment day with the Bema seat judgment when uh, crowns are handed out, all right? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading or we'll run out of time. Uh, verse 5. And from the throne preceded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Kind of sounds like when the Ten Commandments were given, huh? Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. Huh, wait a minute. So those lamps are before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, this is interesting, though, guys, because take me to the next verse real quick. Let's rewind. Let's rewind and go to Revelation chapter 1. Did you like that sound effect, Andrew? We can record that, and we can put it in there next time for when I say rewind. Great. Okay. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Let's read that. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, are you ready for it? Somebody give me a drum, drum roll. Oh, man. It's a good thing we don't have a, too many sound effects, actually. Seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, can we do this? Uh, it's probably going to have to go back in the order. Can we go back to verse 5, Eva? Which you saw are the seven churches. And where are they now? Lamps of fire burning where? They were on earth. Now where are they? Before the throne of God. Pretty cool, all right? So if this is confusing you, which are the seven spirits of God, you've got to, you have to understand that the seven spirits of God is the Holy Spirit, okay? And we, that, we discover that 
uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, which describes the seven spirits that rested upon David uh, and upon Jesus, who would be a shoot of Jesse. It was prophesied that the seven spirits of God would rest upon the shoot of Jesse, which is King David. So the shoot of Jesse is what? Through the lineage of David is Jesus himself, and that rests upon the Lord. So in essence, guys, chapter one, lampstands on earth, churches. Chapter four, after come up here is spoken, come up here, throne room of God, 24 elders, all of the different uh, uh, characteristics of the elders that we have given, okay? Uh, all of the characteristics of who gets crowns or wearing crowns and thrones and all of that stuff. Here in chapter 4, verse 5, they are now before the throne. So I subject to you, I believe, I believe that this is a speaking of a rapture event. You can find the rapture in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. So after he speaks to the seven churches, and then boom, rapture event. Next thing you know, throughout verse 4, where is the church? In the throne room of God. With that in mind, let's keep reading verse 6. Because it gets pretty cool. It continues to be cool, I should say. Verse 6, before the throne... There was a sea of glass like crystal. Huh. See, honestly, we're, we're, we're talking about a real thing, yet, you know, so it's, it's hard to, it's so good to dig deeper into this stuff because uh, uh, it just, everything just comes into such a clearer focus. Crystal symbolizes purity. This is not accidental, a sea, a sea of glass like crystal. That was not accidental wording by, the, by Jesus here. Crystal symbolizes purity, like I was talking about with diamonds. Why is the most expensive diamond so expensive? Because it's pure. It's measured on its purity. Because uh, the crystal, like diamond, it imperfections, it magnifies, magnifies imperfections. And the sea itself, throughout all of the Word of God, is symbolic of masses of people. All right, throughout the Word of God, when we talk about the sea being symbolic, it's always symbolic of masses of people, which brings to mind Ephesians. Let me jump out of Revelation real quick, so maybe take a note of this if you can't turn there fast enough. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Let's read. That he might present to her himself a glorious church. What? Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Let me ask you this, church. Are you able to achieve that yourself? Are you able to be good enough to stand in the presence of a holy God? Or standing in the presence of a holy God is in an instant, like a diamond before the, the glass of a jeweler, are your imperfections pointed out and highlighted and laid bare? I know mine are. I know mine are. I had a dream once that I, uh, a dream, vision, call it what you will, it felt pretty real. Jesus was standing at the foot of my bed and all I felt all over me was that all of my unholiness and blemishes were laid bare before him. And all I felt in my spirit I could do was to lay before him and say, holy, 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 and thanks be to you who has forgiven me of my sins, died on the cross for me, rose from the grave for me to purify me, that I would wear your righteousness and not be judged by my own flawed righteousness before you, Lord. 
I'm telling you, this is beautiful. He, and, and, and guess what? So he's expecting a church without any spot or blemish. Does that mean that you can actually get it done? No, certainly not. It's his righteousness. By faith in him, he has paid for your debt. He's paid for your sin. He's paid for your imperfections and taken that punishment on the cross. God the Father accepted that payment and rose him from the dead as evidence of that fact. That is the gospel. That your salvation is now safe in his hands because he paid the debt for you. All right, amen? Somebody say amen. We're preaching tonight. All right, so, um, guys, uh, <laughs> see, imagine that day when before, before the throne is a sea of people and they are like crystal pure. And that's you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 6. I didn't read all of verse 6. Verse 6. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, it gets interesting here now, but I think it was, it's already been interesting, but we found a lot of insight, haven't we? That there's a lot of remez in here. There's a lot of riches for he who would seek and find, for it is, the, uh, uh, it is our, our, to our honor to be kings who seek out truth, amen? Four living creatures, full of eyes in the front and the back, so they see it also, they're seeing everywhere, right? Verse seven, the first living creature was like a lion, make note of that. The second living creature, like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, make note of that, so lion, calf, man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle, lion, calf, man, eagle. Got it? Verse 8. The four living creatures, verse 8, each having six wings were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest night or day, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen? Oh, I love that song, don't you guys? Holy, holy, holy. This is why three holies. Can anybody guess? I'll give you three seconds. Throw it out there. Why three holies, guys? I know you've got this. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy, ho Eva knew it. She had it. Holy, holy, holy. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, this is pretty cool. Uh, why these animals? Can I see that next graphic, that next picture? These beasts. Can we see that? Lion, ox, man, and eagle. So interesting. Around the throne of God? This is kind of weird, right? And the, these four living creatures, you know, they don't sleep, they don't rest. All night and day, they just go, holy, holy, holy. Lord God, who are these guys? Why these specific Animals. Well, take me to the next graphic, and I'm going to run something down for you guys. This might take us a second. <clears throat> so screenshot that. Hold on to it for a minute. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let me explain this to you guys, all right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, uh, as he wrote his gospel, he focused on presenting Jesus as Messiah. The, the one who fulfilled 
that prophecy. Mark went out of his way to present Jesus uh, as a servant, the suffering servant. Luke, as you study the Gospel of Luke, Luke was a physician, a doctor. So you've got to remember, it's not a surprise that his focus would be on the fact that Jesus, being God, was also fully human and fully a man. So he focuses on right out of the gate, first words out, uh, uh, he talks about Adam. And John, he talks about uh, Jesus as being a son of God. So let's go back. The first things that they say, Matthew presents Jesus uh, he, as, as talking about Abraham. His genealogy, when you open up and start talking about, open the Gospel of Matthew, the first thing he does is he leads with the genealogy and he starts at Abraham, okay? And the law. Mark, because his focus is Jesus as a servant, he doesn't open up with a, 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 a genealogy at all because it doesn't matter. It's not the focus. Luke opens up with Adam. Why? Again, physician. He's focusing on the, the manhood of Jesus, the bloodline of Jesus. So he focuses on, begins at Adam. John, John, whose focus is that Jesus is truly, truly, uh, that he is the son of God, he begins with uh, uh, talking about the eternal pre-existence of Jesus. These four Gospels focus on different things. Matthew focuses on what Jesus said. Mark focuses on what Jesus did. Luke's focuses on what Jesus felt. And John's focus ultimately is on who Jesus was, what he was rather. Matthew wrote to the Jew, so it's not surprising he led with Abraham, right? Mark, whose focus is on Jesus as a servant, he wrote to the Roman. Luke wrote to the Greek. Remember the educated, everything else? He wrote to the Greek. And John wrote to the church. So not coincidentally, Jesus' first miracle recorded in Matthew was uh, the leper being cleansed. Jew, cleansing of sin, right? They understand that. And then not surprisingly as well, to the Roman and the Greek, Mark and Luke record the first, uh, uh, their first miracle recorded was a demon being expelled. Because trust me, those pagans were well, uh, <laughs> they were well familiar with demonic activity, especially with all the false god worship coming out of Babylon, Babylon that they were familiar with. John, the first miracle that he records is the miracle, the miraculous uh, water into wine, very church-centric, right? Uh, the, the wine that was, or the water that was once used for uh, ceremonial cleansing, Jesus turned that into wine for celebration, amen? Also, as we study the design of the Gospels, we find that it ends, Matthew ends when Jesus is resurrected. Mark ends when Jesus ascends into heaven. Luke ends with the promise of the Holy Spirit that was to come in Acts, right? And then continued in Acts as a sequel. Uh, Luke recording, recording Acts as kind of a sequel to his gospel. And John ends with the promise of Jesus' return, which isn't surprising either because he follows up with a, rev with a, a sequel that we're reading, which is Revelation. Right, So he, pro he closes his gospel with the promises of Jesus' return, and then he outlines it for us here in Revelation. All right, this is where it gets relevant especially, and it is all relevant. But here, each tribe of Israel, 
Okay, they had an, an emblem that would fly on their flag. Each different tribe had an emblem, a different animal of sorts. Uh, and they would camp as they were traveling through the wilderness, and we'll get to that in a moment, on different sides of the tent of meeting. Okay, but let's cover this first. The ensign, Judah, the, the, the symbol that they would have on their flags, uh, was a lion. Okay, a lion of the tribe of Judah, we're all pretty familiar with this. They would camp to the east of the tent of meeting. Ephraim would camp to the west, but their symbol was an ox. Hmm. Reuben camped to the south, symbol of a man. Dan to the north, symbol of an eagle, and later it turned into an eagle with a serpent in its mouth, but that's not for now. Interesting, Matthew was of the tribe of Judah, Mark was of the tribe of Ephraim, Luke was of the tribe of Reuben, and John was of the tribe of Dan. Their symbols, lion, ox, man, eagle. What were the beasts listed? Can I go back to that last graphic? What were the beasts listed? Can we see that one more time? Lion, ox, man, eagle. Now go back to the one we were just on. I know I've showed this to you guys before. But I just have to show it to you again because it's incredibly relevant. It goes hand in hand with what we're talking about to this point in Scripture. In Numbers chapter 2, there are specific instructions given by God to the nation of Israel that is, that is to, be, to be wandering out through the wilderness, setting up camp, moving, setting up camp, following uh, uh, the cloud uh, uh, the cloud, uh, wherever God would have them uh, take them, or if it's night, fire, pillar of fire, all that stuff, right? We know that. When they would set up camp, God gives in Numbers chapter 2 specific instructions on where they're to camp, and it's really long, and it's spe very specific, so I'm not going to go through it. I've read it to you guys once, and I remember I was teaching it and reading it. I was like, oh, Lord, I probably could have just skipped this and said, go read it. But it's just specific instructions, so check me on that. Numbers chapter 2 so many in this tribe camp here. So many in this tribe camp here. Camp, and then camp next to them. Camp next to them. And it's always north, east, southwest. Interesting point is it's never northeast. So they can't camp a little northeast. No, they have to camp north. They can't camp a little southwest. No, it has to be south. Okay. So with that in mind, can I see this next graphic? This is how they would have camped to the west to the east to the south to the north you can see this is the math laid out in numbers chapter 2 and if you were to say uh, take the numbers of the campers and you were to space them out equal distantly equidistantly all right uh, this is the picture you get of what it would have looked like as they set up camp Interesting point I've mentioned before as well is that they would always set their camp, their tent, facing the tent of meeting in the center. So as they moved through the wilderness, they would never look outward to the desert. They'd never have their focus fixed on the desert. Their focus was always fixed 
on the presence of God. I'll just tell you what, that'll preach right there because I know it feels sometimes like we are moving through a barren wasteland and it is so easy just to look out and see the wasteland and see the hopelessness that is in this world. But God here, through his, the intelligent design of his word, is telling us, keep your eyes fixed on the presence of God even when you're wandering through the desert. Church, do you hear my heart on this, guys? Please hear my heart on this. So somebody paint, painted a picture of this, uh, of this design. Can I see that? This next picture? I left this. So anybody who would have had an aerial view looking down on how the Israelites were camped would have seen something that looked a lot like this. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. And so in that design, and the... The, the very, the, the very uh, uh, sons of Jacob that were named. So can I go back to that uh, uh, graphic of the d gospel designs? Can you do that for me real quick? I don't know if you remember where Judah was camped to the east, Ephraim to the west, Reuben to the south, and Dan to the north. Each of these, everybody, all the other eight tribes were to be camped, built based upon them. So those were the leading tribes of each direction of camp. So the camp to the uh, east would have to line up behind Judah. The camp to the west would have to line up behind Ephraim. The camp to the south would have to line up behind Reuben, and the camp to the north would have to line up behind Dan. So as they camped through the wilderness, what do you see? you see the ox, the eagle, the man, and the lion. Just as in, in the Gospels of the New Testament, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you see? The ox, the eagle, the man, and the lion of the tribe of Judah. Church, so, I mean, we have the camp of Israel, the camp of Israel not only modeling the manner of which Jesus would sacrifice himself for them. Hundreds, of, keep in mind, hundreds of years, hundreds of years before crucifixion had even been invented by the Romans. They're modeling crucifixion, the manner in which Jesus would sacrifice himself as they move through the desert. <sighs> so, not only do we see them modeling it there, we see it modeled in the throne room of God. It's modeled in the throne room of God, the ox, the man, the eagle, the lion. There is a scarlet thread. Come on now. There is a scarlet thread that runs through this entire book. Do you hear me? No man could have put this together. I'm telling you, the volume, the volume the whole counsel of God, the volume of this book, this entire book, is written of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Messiah. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. I'll prove it to you right here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Read it in context. I don't have time to give you the context because it's not the focal point. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Amen. Uh, let's wrap this up with verse 9. Verse 9 through 11, let's read, shall we? Whenever 
Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, verse 10, are you ready for this? The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him. They worship him who lives forever and ever. And you know what they do with those crowns, boy, in this life, in this world? We think that crowns are, there's nothing better than gold and I want power. I want to be the king. What do they do with their thrones? They throw them. They throw their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Church, come on now. Holy Spirit, Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. I can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit so thick right here in His Word. Do you feel it, church? Are you ready to worship Him? Are you ready to worship Him? The 24 elders fall down before Him and they cast their crowns before His throne. Are you ready to cast your crowns before His throne? I'm telling you, there's nothing in this life, once you're there, that you wouldn't give to be right where you are. Once you're before his throne, I don't care what it is in this life that you had. I don't care the success that you achieved. I don't care the success you attained. I don't care the, the power, the presidency, the political power you see in our, our, our world today all drenched all over the media. This corruption for what? For power, for riches, for sex, for manipulation, all of it. It's nothing. It's worthless. It'll be burned in the fire imperfections that will be revealed, church. Are you ready to cast your crown before him? You know, Satan's greatest desire, you see it right here, Satan's greatest desire is to keep Christ's church from worshiping him. Is that not emblematic that we're in the end times right now? Never? I mean, my goodness, church. I mean... What we're seeing, shut, globally, churches are being shut down. We're not just talking about in communist China where they're knocking crosses off of churches and people hide in the basement with one light bulb and they forget instruments, right? Forget worship music. They memorize the Bible because uh, it'll be stolen from them. I mean, come on now. This is Satan's... In this nation... And in, in nations that were thought to be free across the world, churches are being shut down in the name of COVID-19. It's for your safety, they tell you. No, it's, it's anti-Christ, church. Don't be, don't be fooled, all right? Don't be fooled. Satan's greatest desire is to keep you from worshiping God because that's what you were made to do and that's what you're going to do one day. And Lord, let it be one day soon as we sit before his throne, a sea of crystal, right? A sea of glass that is pure because we're robed in his righteousness. Oh, Lord Jesus, let it be so. We, your people, come before you, Lord Jesus, and we profess our sin, and we say, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you did. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we weren't able to do it, Lord, but you saw that, Lord. You knew before you even formed us that you'd have to, you'd have to redeem us, Lord Jesus, but you did it anyway so we would know what love is. We would know choice and know what love is because you are love because you truly wanted us to know you, Lord Jesus. That is love greater love knows no one than he who is willing to lay down his life for his, for his friend. And you did that for us, Lord. And we will stand before you 
We will stand before you a perfect bride, as Paul said in Ephesians. We will stand before you a perfect bride because we are robed in your righteousness, Lord, and we thank you for that. And we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And all God's people said, amen. Lord Jesus, God, he is good. Amen? Well, we'll close here tonight, guys. Um, I'll just tell you this. Watch therefore. Luke chapter 21 verse 36 says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man and we will indeed escape. Don't be scared now, guys, of the crazy things that you're seeing in the world. Okay? This is how much He loves you. He made this word and gave it to you. Do you not see the depth of His love on display in this text tonight? And he made, he saw to it that you'd be robed in white. He saw to it that you'd have a crown. And you know what? You love him so much that the crown, you, you give it back to him, right? He loved you that much, guys. So don't be afraid of the, the times that are coming upon the earth because I believe with all my heart we will escape the wrath that is to come. And, and make no mistake, wrath will come. There's a difference between judgment and wrath. You have to understand that, as we talked about before. But wrath is coming. So, in any case, we'll close there tonight, guys. Uh, I don't know if the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart tonight, and you wanna, you're somebody who wants to say a prayer of recommittal to Him. Uh, he's showed you some things and opened your eyes. Uh, maybe in your heart, the, the Holy Spirit has spurred a desire to study your word and know it on a deeper level. And, and he'll, show, he'll, he'll be more than happy to show you uh, things in the word that you just don't get by reading the surface. The Holy Spirit will always lead you into all truth, guys. But if, you're, if that's you tonight or you're needing recommittal or if you're somebody who's watching this video and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all or maybe you went to church your whole life and thought, you, you did and you're realizing I don't really know him I guess I don't really have a relationship with him whatever it is guys I want to give you this opportunity right now to get right with God for eternity and it takes one second right now what you do what you do you just put your belief and trust in him that he's got your eternal salvation in hand that he won't lose it that the cross was enough that the empty tomb was enough just say this in your heart with me right now say jesus i believe that you're god i believe that you love me i believe that you died on the cross for my sin i believe that you rose again on the third day i believe that you did that to take the the punishment for my sin that i could take on your righteousness that i could be pure and spotless and blameless before the before the father and i thank you for that and I believe it's true, and I put my trust in that truth and in you and faith in that. With all my heart, I do so. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen on that. You're saved, signed, sealed, and delivered. When you do that, uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit seals your heart, guaranteeing your eternal inheritance. Pretty cool, huh? So the Holy Spirit is going to start leading you now into good works. You'll want to do good things. Maybe you didn't want to do before. You'll start not wanting to do bad things you maybe wanted to do before, right? You get that. So anyway, let's do this too. And if you're somebody who just was praying for uh, a recommittal or for uh, uh, 
that ember in your heart to be fanned into full flame for the word. Lord Jesus, right now, we just pray for those people, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you'd move on them. You'd lead them, Lord Jesus, into insight, Lord. Give them little jewels, Father, that they find in their word that would inspire them and encourage them to go deeper and deeper into your presence every day. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. We love you guys. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace, prosper in all you do, and find joy and even in the darkest of times every day. Because as, as a, uh, a mentor of mine, Pastor Paul Baggett, once said, a Christian should be happy. Amen. Because we've got a blessed hope, a blessed hope in his soon appearing. In Jesus' name. All guys, people said, amen. We'll, we'll, I probably said that about four times in the last 30 seconds, but we're excited about seeing you guys at the Rutledge on Sunday. Rutledge West, uh, keep your eyes on the social media for all the details. Man, let's turn out big Life Story Church. Let's invite people. That's going to be exciting. We love you guys. Have a great night and a great week.